On today's episode, a call to action. It is the kind of thing you can't, I don't think you can learn from reading. I don't think you can learn from writing an essay. You have to do it experientially. Action with empathy. You have to go out and spend time with people. You have to make genuine human connections and you have to open your heart to it. You know, the greatest challenge is can you open your heart to people who you believe have done you wrong? With our guest, Dave Petnayak. Welcome to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Leaders who are innovating, building, and guiding organizations with a higher vision. How they put their values into practice to achieve the full potential of themselves and their organizations. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to uh, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Hope you've been having a good week, really reaching out and expanding in your comfort zones. I'm Mark Stenson, and my co-host is here with me today. Hi, I'm Kirsten Gouldy. Hi, Kirsten. Glad to have you back. And as we think about what's going on in the world between the pandemics and uh, social justice, Kirsten, where, where does one find optimism? And uh, what are your clients coming to you these days and asking about? I love that question, Mark, because, you know, as you and I were talking even before the podcast, I've had an unusual week of many, many new clients reaching out to me because they're at an emotional boiling point where they're finding themselves unable to take what's occurring anymore, right? There's in any levels of oppression, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it is your own self-awareness, like they just can't avoid themselves because the pressure cooker of emotion is boiling over. And, you know, normally it takes a catalytic event in one person's life to begin to move more in alignment with who they're meant to be, who they're supposed to be, and their highest potential. And I am finding, I mean, I'm layered in so many conversations, just both personally And what I'm committed to, you know, obviously with what's happening with our police and Black Lives Matter and these young men being shot, you know, continually. And we're just finding unity, but people are at a boiling point. They don't know what to do, how to do it, how to support it. So I'm getting many people ask me, what is my role in all of this so we can effectuate a guaranteed change? Right. right. So, and so push, pushing against these old ways and saying, where do I move forward? That's into, right. As That's this right. word IntelliKey implies, how do I reach my full potential? Exactly. Equally as important, um, not quite the forefront of conversation, but equally as important. Um, women leaders in all capacity, whether it be leaders at the home or leaders at a C-level. So I'm in many organizations and conversations about creating new economies based on the feminine principle, not necessarily for women, but the feminine principle about unity, cohesion, collaboration, right? Empathy, intuition, all of it. So we create a new future that we can all stand in that's more driven about this conscious leadership. And those are just a few, right? And I I work with my Native American sisters and we have groups for our earth keepers and healers. Like everybody wants to play a role. So what I've been finding is that's the question for people. What is my role? I I don't feel like protesting, but I want to help. How Mm -hmm. do I do that? Mm -hmm. Right. So, and that gives rise to potential. The minute you ask those deeper questions, all is available to you. So what are the possibilities? Yeah. 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 And they're infinite, right? You just have to find out what your unique expression is. 
And those questions are occurring. Even I have couples that relationships are blowing up because they're just so emotional that they're wanting to recreate their relationship in a new way, right? And they don't have the tools. So it's just fascinating week for me. Yeah, well, there's a lot of good things going on. Uh, I had the fortunate opportunity to have my uh, latest book published this week, Customer Chemistry. So it's online now on Amazon and uh, actually debuted in the top 50 of new releases, which if you think about the billions of books on Amazon, I guess that's a pretty good thing. More people are talking about, you know, how do we build chemistry with customers? There's a lot to be learned from that. So that was kind of an exciting development for me. Yeah, congratulations. That'd be yeah, exciting. but the real highlight uh, this week for me though, is uh, talking with our next guest. We've just had such a great time talking with business leaders and conscious leaders from both the business and the nonprofit world. And today's guest is no different. Dave Pagnayak is with us today. Dave, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's great to have you. Great to talk with you. Dave is the CEO of Jump Associate, and it's kind of what we would call a hybrid strategy firm, both business strategy and also this idea of customer relationships and really helping organizations, large and small, grow. He's really a trusted advisor to a lot of senior executives, clients that range from General Electric and Nike and Procter & Gamble, Target, Hewlett Packard, all of these kind of companies that you know by brand name. And then when he's not uh, working at Jump, he's, he's teaching down the road at Stanford University. He's also uh, a part of a nonprofit group called Conscious Capitalism. And as a frequent speaker, and he's appeared on CNBC and a lot of business programs, business publications like Business Week and CNN and Fast Company, and uh, so forth. Dave, you're also a, a published author. Your book is Wired to Care. And I really think this caring part is where I'd like to start with you, if I could. What, what sort of things are you guys working on now that really use this concept of empathy and caring in the business world? Thanks, Mark. I think it's um, this idea of true caring, moving beyond just, you know, kind of paying lip service to things, but actually making that deeper connection is so important and it's so important right now. Speaking at this moment in the beginning of June, we are sitting here saying, oh my goodness, the, it feels like the world is coming apart. But if you look at it, there is a, there's a, there's a longer arc to history that we're seeing. Um, some of us are old enough to remember um, when Amadou Diallo got shot in 1991. And at that time we had protests, but it was mostly protests in New York and it was mostly black people protesting. And now it's almost everybody protesting almost everywhere. And to me, that's a sign of a, of a step up in consciousness. That's a sign of, of, a, of a greater connection. We're seeing something that we didn't see before. And I think part of it is technology, right? I think the internet and, and mobile phones have allowed us to, to bring that horror front and center to see it. You know, it's not like, oh my goodness, right around the time that the iPhone was created, you know, police started being horrible to black people. It's like, no. <laughs> what a coincidence. Right? What a coincidence. No, this has been going on for centuries. And now we can't turn away from it. Right? We can't excuse it. We can't say that was just a few bad apples. Right? There are, there are um, structural issues right, in our society that we have to do something about. So in its own twisted way, this is a marker of progress. This is a marker of saying that we can actually change. And so at Jump, where, where I work, where we, you know, we work with corporate clients to help them develop more empathy, starting with empathy for their customers. And we will do things like we'll do these strategy sessions where before we get into the strategic planning about what we're going to do, 
will go out into people's homes for three or four hours. Well, you know, take a CEO or a chief marketing officer into someone's home, you know, just someone from Jump and, and that leader. And I'll do this with like 20 people from that company. And we'll spend three or four hours in, in someone's house just getting to know them as a human being. And, and then we come back and say, okay, what can we do? You know, what did we see there? How is that different from how we knew our, our customers before? And therefore, let's start making decisions and planning about what we're going to do today tomorrow in the future. I think, you know, when we think about what is our calling on this, yes, you know, we did the same thing that everyone did, which is like we put out a message on Twitter and we said it was horrible. And yes, you know, like my teammates and I, we were out marching, you know, like against police brutality with many people this week. But we also said, what is our gift to the world? What can we do? So we are going to begin a process of doing those same strategy sessions, going out to homes of black Americans. And rather than doing it with Fortune 500 companies, we're going to be doing it with law enforcement so wow. that we can build that empathy. Right? Wow. Because if you think about it, if you think of it with, with police, the, the primary ways that they have to build empathy are that, you know, they're just kind of, they're, there's a lot of these uh, kind of like racial justice training and implicit bias training. And the results of those, while well-intentioned, the results are candidly mixed. They're not great. Or the other way that they engage with their communities is they hold a town hall and they have people just screaming at them. Yes. And that doesn't build empathy either. Well, it turns out that, at Jump, we actually know how to build that kind of empathy with leaders better than anybody, or at least let's be more humble, better than most people. And if we don't apply those skills in, in this moment in time to do it for the folks that we have given, you know, a monopoly on violence to our law enforcement, it, it is it's basically negligence to sit on the sidelines. Well, and I, I wonder, I think about those other opportunities we've had to interact. Uh, coffee with a cop, snacks with a sheriff, you know, all these kind of, uh, we're going to be out in the community. Yeah. But this idea that we're going to bring you literally into the home. Yeah. You know, that's the ultimate walk in my shoes, right? This is how I'm living rather than, you know, talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Kirsten, you're so right. Right now, many of us, not just black people or brown people, white people are feeling anger, right? They're feeling outrage. And that is completely understandable because it's not just racism, you know, that like, oh, there's a few bad people in the world. It is systemic racism, right. which is the system is rigged. The game is rigged. And you can feel that anger welling up inside you when you feel that injustice. Now, here's what I'm going to say, which is a little bit controversial. Can you go to a different place? Can you choose to feed that anger? Or do you choose to find a sense of compassion, to find a sense of love for all the people involved in, in, in that system? Do not see one group as victims and one group as oppressors. Uh-huh. All of us. You know, that's fascinating. You said something very interesting, right? Because I just wrote an article and, you know, each of us have been an oppressor or oppressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, to say that we've been only one would be Mm -hmm. like we're human beings, right? So we're going to have, we're going to have 
I said, so you have a choice. I said, do you want to feed that anger or do you want to feed that instinct for caring? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I have a question. This is really just based on my personal experience. So, you know, my mother was has always been ahead of her time. So she paid a very high emotional price for it. But she married a black man. Mm-hmm. And I have two black brothers. Mm-hmm. So I've been the white girl out alienated from the black community. Yeah. And I've been with black brothers alienated from the white. But here's the question I have. I also grew up in a deeply New York Italian family mm-hmm. that were beat cops in Little Italy. Mm-hmm. And racism was inherently inbred in them. So we didn't even tell my family that my you know father's side mm-hmm. that we had... Black, but I had black brothers because, you know, grandpa would have flipped out. But their racism and their hatred for those who are poor, right? There's everybody who's poor is a problem because they're just going to take, right? Mm-hmm. And then really just not liking the black people. So it was guaranteed in the New York Police Department that they just didn't like who they were in front of. And it wasn't just black people. It was Latinos. It was even the Jewish. So how do you really come from that? Because there really is lifelong ancestral, like you said, such deep racism. I'm curious about how you even begin to unravel that in a police department. You know, I'll tell you for me, and and, and this is kind of a warning to our our listeners, our friends on this podcast, which is I'm going to share some stuff with you that I don't necessarily come front and center with my CEO clients. We never had to put a warning on our podcast. (laughs) But, you know, I think my views on this because of my upbringing are just very different from kind of standard American views on this, right? And, and, and so that could be kind of confronting to people, right? Um, it, uh, for, you know, I'm not an atheist, but if, if, if there are a lot of, you know, in, in California and on the coast, there's a lot of people who don't believe in God. And when they go to Texas or Oklahoma, because I've seen this, and they tell somebody, I don't believe in God, you get this interesting reaction that goes in stages. First, it's, it's you know, I, I didn't hear you right. What did you say? And then it's, it's, it's confusion. It's like, what? No, I, I don't understand what that is. How do you not believe in God? And then the third phase starts to be um, kind of poke holes. No, that's not true. Come on, you must. Right? And then it, it descends at some point into deep anger. Right? Screw you, man. What do you, right? Because it's so confronting to your you know, to everything that you, of how you frame the world. Right. So, so why do I share that with you? Because that's what happens when you tell somebody in Oklahoma that I don't believe in God. What I've experienced in California is when I tell people that I don't believe in free will and that I don't believe in the self. And that's where things start to get. Yeah, that's a huge disruption, I have to say. In the mystic world, that's a huge disruption. Especially in in our society today. And so for me, the idea that, that I am white or black or brown or male or female. These, I, you know, in my upbringing, I have lived for thousands of lives and I'm going to live for thousands more. And this one, this time around is just a moment for me. And I happen to be born with this clothing. And, and, and next time I'm going to be wearing a different costume. And, in, in a, and I don't think I, I you know, and I, I felt the same thing as you growing up because you were, you know, 
in a black family and in an Italian family and having to present yourself in different ways in both. But I'm an Indian growing up in New York who people saw me as an Indian. And then I went and I lived in India and they said, you're not an Indian, you're an American. What's your accent? You can't even speak Hindi properly. Right. right? And then at some point I, I started to realize that these identities are just costumes that we put on. They serve us in many ways, but they're just costumes <laughs> to, a, to a greater truth. While I'm not telling that to, to my CEO clients, that's the underlying you know, perspective I'm coming in with. Right. How do we see through that costume? The costume of being a man or a woman or black or white or old or young or rich or poor. And so when, when we talk about empathy then, are, are you putting this through a filter of identity, one, lifestyle, or, or is it the need to belong to something? I mean, wait, maybe yeah. I'm trying to break down your application of empathy you know, yeah. in these various projects. Yeah, you know, Mark, you and I met years ago, 20 years ago, I think we were talking about. And back then, empathy was kind of a hippie idea in business. The idea that empathy would like drive some sort of growth and innovation. Please don't say the word feelings in a meeting. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And and so, you know, my colleagues and I had jumped. We were kind of on the edge of like, that was a, I mean, you tell me, what was your impression when you first came across us all those years ago? Well, it was a little tough. Feely for most, yes. yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then you know, starting about I would say five, ten years ago, it became like, oh yeah, this is starting to make sense. Like you know, the business world certainly came around. What I'm finding is empathy is actually on the back foot as an idea now. It's more fragile now than it was ten years ago, and I'm seeing it with my students because my students have are they're coming in, they're you know college seniors, but they're coming in with the mindset of if you aren't like me, if you didn't grow up where I did, if you don't share my gender, if you don't share my race, if you don't share my background, you can't know me, you can't empathize with me, and to even try is offensive. And so here, and I'm trying to get them to see that, no, just because someone can't know you perfectly does not mean it's not an incredibly sacred thing to try. And to actually connect. And in fact, we might discover all sorts of things. And oh, by the way, when we say, you know, you, if you say you can't know me, my question back to them is, do you know you? Uh, that's a very and do, and, and do you want to be known? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. yeah. I think that's right. And I think in in the last several years, what we have seen, um, and I'm criticizing all sides and all of the debate on this, is many well-intentioned people who are coming from a place of anger rather than a place of real compassion. And I'm seeing a lot of people who are fighting for their cause rather than the cause, as opposed to, you know, like, where are the, you know, like people of color fighting for, you know, for, for women in the Me Too movement, where are women fighting for black people in the black lives the matter movement what we need to be you know coming together for a greater cause and we are living in a moment in time where people are just not ready to do that because they're holding on to their identity like it's armor right mm-hmm. we were always trying to, to i guess to, when you say to be nice to others or to try to understand others you know there is this natural i find myself doing it i know how you feel it's just it's a natural convenient response well i, I know how you feel yeah. When now people are like, no, you cannot know how I feel. Yeah. You know, you haven't spent the time listening or you can't understand. How could you possibly know how I feel? Yeah, that's uh, right. But it is well-intentioned. 
perhaps, to say, at least I want to listen. So how do you bridge that? How do you walk a person from, in, in particular, your college students, because they're our future. They are going to be creating what our future looks like. Yeah. So how do you bridge them to that deeper understanding that you're speaking to? It is the kind of thing you can I don't think you can learn from reading. I don't think you can learn from, from writing an essay. You have to do it experientially. You have to go out and spend time with people. You have to make genuine human connections. Um, and you have to open your heart to it. Right? And so... You know, the greatest challenge is can you open your heart to people who you believe have done you wrong? Can you find compassion and love for you people you see as your oppressor? Can you find, you know, that level of compassion? I, I, I once saw His Holiness the Dalai Lama speaking and he was talking about all the horrible things that had been going on in Tibet. And he literally started weeping. Right? And he's crying. And then he started talking again. And then what you realize is that, he, my goodness, he wasn't crying for the Tibetans. He was crying for the Chinese. He was crying for that these people don't know what they're doing to their souls. That's, that's a level that I know most of us right now in this country are not ready to go to. But we need to get there at some point. Yeah, yeah you know, and a similar note, um, I do work with, you know, many Native American women. Like I said, we do earth work together for healing the earth. And, you know, one of the things I've seen is that until they forgive the white man woman, there will be no healing within their communities, right? So that's really what you're speaking to. It, it is, I know that right now at this moment, people aren't, you know, many of us are not ready to hear this. But if mm-hmm. you are coming from a place of anger, if you are coming from a place of retribution, right. you are part of the problem. Right, isn't it? Einstein, you cannot meet the problem at the level of the problem. That's right. Exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, Dave, I, I thought uh, we would connect the idea of bringing law enforcement into people's houses to understand. But give us an assignment for the week or two going forward. You know, if you were, if you were talking to our listeners and say, look, you really want to show empathy? What, what's something that maybe the average person or average business person could do to, to really begin to build a, a bridge? I love that question. I love that. Yeah, you know, number one, you know, simply go to a protest, okay? And talk to the protesters. And make sure you talk to both white people and black people and Latino people. And talk to the police on the sides of that protest too. Wow. Make genuine human connections as much as you can with all of those people. And see if you meet them as real human beings. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like we don't we don't need to set up a, a, a you know a session for you. The sessions are going on every day in the streets. Go to one of them. <laughs> right. No. No need to schedule anything. Right. Right. But go with rather than going with your fist raised, go with open arms. Wow. Right? And go and go and talk to people. If if you're doing that, sit and and meditate and think about you know try to feel what is it like. And, and this will offend some people because you can't know me. I understand that argument. But try and feel what it might be like to be a, a young black man growing up in, in America. Try and feel what it might be like 
to be a, a white policeman who just came back from Afghanistan or Iraq, is, he was in the military and is now in, in, in a police situation. Wow. How do you feel what it was like to be a mother of, of someone who lost a child and try and inhabit those spaces? People will tell me, you can't do it. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm telling you to try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're also describing a mindset of, instead of the closed fist, go with the open, open yeah. ears, open heart, open hand. It's a very different mindset, isn't it? That's right. And what about these business clients? I mean, you know, everybody says, like you said at the outset, hey, let's get a Twitter message out. Let's get a commercial on the air. You know, yeah. let's say we, we, we care. First, it was the pandemic, and now it's about black lives. You know, yeah. we care. We hear you. Is that a little tone deaf, too, or who's doing it well? I, I, you know, I, I think they're, they're all learning how to do it. They're, everybody's stumbling through to this right now. Right? So there's, again, I don't know it's com- that's compassionate to ju- this fir- person's great and this person's not so good. I mean, I know yeah. most CEOs live by a scoreboard. They want to be put on a scoreboard. They want to know that they're getting a 10 and the other guys are getting <laughs> a 6, right? Um, but, you know, you know, step one, you need to say things in the world that you recognize that this is true. You need to you need to say that racism is real. You can't just say racism is real. That systemic racism is real. And you need to acknowledge this. And that's true. But then you need to get to work. And you need to say, so what are we going to do? Right? What are, you know, before this all, before the pandemic started, we, we were going to start a program at Jump where we were doing an outreach to um, teach innovation classes uh, in, in places that didn't get the kind of classes that we teach at Stanford, right? And, we, and, and you know, what are, can we do to outreach both to do those kind of classes and to do um, recruiting to historically black colleges and places that are rural areas of the country? There are parts of the American Southwest where um, you know they simply they, they don't have access to running water, let alone all these fancy dancy innovation courses. Uh-huh. So, what can we be doing to kind of provide access? There? And it all got disrupted with the pandemic. But it yeah. just you know we have to just kind of step back into that to to kind of connect in a way that transcends our identity and gets to that that you know that greater truth of our of our oneness. You know, um, I love that. And what I've been watching the news more towards the pandemic and, you know, reading, you know, through Forbes and what happened in the pandemic, you know, our, our social wealth structure completely shifted yet again, right? Mm-hmm. So I think our latest number is $535 billion was transferred to the top 1%. Yeah. Well, a majority of the country lost any wealth they may have had and just got poorer. Yeah. But simultaneously, um, on the first look at numbers, only 0.1% of that 1%, which is an incredibly small number, yeah. did anything to help with the pandemic with, while the greatest wealth transfer in our country ever occurred. Yeah. Right. So, and that's a systemic situation because that feeds racism, that feeds dissonance, that feeds anger. Right? Because poverty promotes most of the the unrest, which is what we're experiencing right now, is true civil unrest for many different reasons. So, how does I mean? Because it seems to me that what you teach really is that's a piece of it right and what you were and I don't even want to say teach who you are and what because I get the sense it's really who you are not something you teach which is a big distinction 
Yeah, I, if you if you if you think about it, like the the, the pan, what what actually happened in the pandemic? Old people and people of color died. Poor people lost their jobs. Rich people got a staycation. Right. <laughs> right. It's exactly what happened. It got richer in the process. Right. And, and yeah, they got a staycation and they got a bonus. Right. And so I mean, like I think if there's anything that is happening at this moment in time is that people are starting to realize that the game is rigged, right? Yes, yes. And, but the question is, so what do you do about it? Do That's you, the, yes. and, you know, do, do you, you know, th- there are other moments in time where people realize that the game was rigged. Look at the French Revolution, right? Yeah. The problem was that what they decided was the answer was to take retribution. And it wasn't just Marie Antoinette that lost her head. I think it was the last got 300,000 people that lost their heads, right, and, and were dying yes. in the streets. Because the, the motive was one of anger and retribution rather than love and compassion. Right. And that's beautiful. One more piece I'll add, and I'd love your thoughts on this. So I'm going to take you a little bit further out on the limb than most of your corporate leaders might, if you're open to that. (laughs) Okay. Um, So many of the spiritual leaders of all different faiths and disciplines are talking about a new world Mm -hmm. and where the midwives of birthing a new world, and we will each play a part, but there's no turning back. You know, Bruce Lipton is talking about it being the sixth mass extinction. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're at a point where we're actually awakening spiritually and for and you can insert any way spirituality shows up for you, even as atheists. Right. We talked about Mm -hmm. as this is the time where our we're all birthing this together. So creating the new world is essential, which is what I work with a lot of my clients on visioning a new world in a different way. I get the sense that the work you're doing and your commitment is part of that midwifery, right? What is it? What is your sense and thought to that? Yeah, I, I, I certainly hope that's true, right? I certainly want that to be true. There are some days I wake up and I feel like, oh my goodness, the world is unraveling and it's, you know, this, this looks more like uh, 1177 BC when all the civilizations of the Bronze Age collapsed or 456 you know, CE when uh, the, uh, in the Roman Empire collapsed. We're, we're just going to fall into a new dark ages. I am steadfastly believing, though, to not make it that, to say that, like, no, we're, we're actually, this is a birthing, birthing process to a greater awareness of our greater connection. In, in my faith, we have kind of like three levels of awareness. You know, like step one is f- figure out who you are. Like, what is the hero's journey? Like, oh, what, what am I here? Like, step two is figure out who everybody else is. Like, oh my goodness, these people are not here just for my, you know, like they're not video screens and they're, they're actual people and they're, they have feelings too and, and I'm not alone and I have, what, you know, what do I owe to people around me, right? That's the second level. I think many of us are, are that that second in, in, um, enlightenment is happening. There's a third enlightenment, which is to realize that the first two are fake. <laughs> to say that, like, you aren't really a thing. Other people aren't really a thing. You're all one big thing, right? Right, right. Um, you know, as Shivananda said, it's like we, we misunderstand our true nature 
we believe ourselves to be human beings who occasionally have spiritual experiences. In truth, we are spiritual beings who occasionally have human experiences. This is just one more moment uh, you know, on, on this planet, and it'll shift again. It's very powerful. Well, Dave, we can't thank you enough for some of these uh, insights and experiences. Our guest has been Dave Petnayak, the CEO of Jump Associates, but clearly so much more than the CEO of Jump Associates we've covered. I don't know what other podcast you'll listen to this week that has covered the Bronze Age, Marie Antoinette, uh, social enlightenment, and other such metaphysical concepts so uh, I really appreciate you sharing your wide-ranging uh, viewpoints as we do look ahead to this future Dave I am curious what what do you see on the other side of this not only the business of innovation but societal innovation uh, can you look in your crystal ball and you have a sense of of where we go next yeah I, I think there's a there's a new I think there's a, a new era of meaning making that has started. Like we've lived for a while, for about a century, maybe more, where certainly in, in America, capitalism had replaced Christianity as the dominant idea. And I think there's a there's another dominant idea that's that's coming forward to it. And, and, I, and I don't even know what it's called, but it's coming. That's yeah. great. Well, we're on the lookout. That's for sure. And do you think this idea of, uh, I guess, shifting the, to the conscious in the conscious capitalism, yeah. you know, where, where's that balance going to fall out? Yeah. Well, and I think that, that that's just it. Like the biggest thing that you can do right now is do the hard work of focusing on understanding who are you? What is that place of compassion? What is that place of joy? How do you channel your anger and frustration to be positive good? How do you step outside and do things and come from a place of service, holding that you're just going to do it even if it doesn't work? Like to not be attached to the fruits of your labor, but to just do the labor. It's like, you know what? We're going to get out there in the world, my colleagues and I, and we're going to do some stuff with law enforcement. We're going to try and build that empathy. And even if it doesn't work, it might be a colossal failure. It could totally suck. Well, we're not going to do it because we want the outcome. We're doing it because the act of doing it is our path. It's what we got to do. Very yeah, strong. I love that. And I just personally want to say thank you. Because if we had more leaders like you, our world would be a much, much different place. But the fact that you bring that message forward, which I know personally, the youth is really striving for, yeah. it just, it will make a difference in where we end up. So thank you. Uh, thank you. This is such a great conversation. Thoroughly yeah, it's really, really been great. Thanks. Dave Pednayak has been our guest. This idea of IntelliKey leadership is what we're all about. And if we can add our small voice among our uh, listeners to this idea that we can all have a higher full potential, then uh, that's what we're all about. We really appreciate you being a part of the conversation with us. So listeners, uh, we look forward to having you again uh, next time for our next episode. And most of all, if you have stories of leaders and their journeys that you want to share, we're uh, always open to your comments and suggestions. So until next time, here's to your IntelliKey as you grow as a leader in your own life. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our websites, www.pureintellikey.com and www.mark-stenson.com. IntelliKey Leadership Stories is copyright 2020. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.